This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Let's try to turn on, actually turn the microphone on this time. Good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call, and Boston Red Sox fans are waking up to the news that David Ortiz is a baseball Hall of Famer. Um, and look... <laughs> You know, I don't really think at the end of the day, you know, people can say what they want. But at the end of the day, there was no question that this guy was a Hall of Famer and that he should have been in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, and if you want to argue otherwise, you're just, you know what? You're just a Boston Red Sox hater because you can't argue with this guy's resume. He joins, by the way, Wade Boggs, Yaz, and Ted Williams as the only Red Sox players to ever get in on the first ballot. He becomes the 56th player all-time in the Baseball Hall of Fame to get in on the first ballot. And, of course, you know, there were the rumors about, uh, you know, PED use that he had supposedly failed a drug test that was supposed to be anonymous. Uh, Rob Manfred threw some uh, cold water on that, talking about uh, that there were false positives in there. Um, and, and he's, you know, at the end of the day, here's the thing. And, and this is the same time that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds were left out yet again, where A-Rod got lukewarm support. Sammy Sosa also, uh, drops off the ballot guys that were all suspected of PED use, uh, guys like, you know, look, A-Rod failed a test. You know, and again, this is and and I've talked about this numbers and numbers of times about how um, you can say what you want about the PED guys and about steroids. But my contention has always been if you failed a test, you are out. You're done. Manny Ramirez, A-Rod, you know, guys like that that failed tests, you don't get my vote. Not that I have a vote, but, you you know, I don't believe those guys deserve to be in. But Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens never actually failed a drug test. They were in the league when there was no drug testing. And ladies and gentlemen, whether you want to believe it or not, there are people in the Hall of Fame right now that were PED users. I guarantee it. You know, why is it that that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are being held up as the PED poster children when people like Mike Piazza and uh, uh, Pudge Rodriguez and Jeff Bagwell and, uh, you know, you name it. There's several guys in the Hall of Fame that were alleged or suspected of PED use but never got caught. 
But somehow, Bonds and Clemens are being held up as the guys that that's where we're going to draw the line. And you can't – how legitimate is your Hall of Fame when the, the leading home run hitter in the history of the game is not in the Hall of Fame? Whether you want to say he was juiced or not, at the end of the day, he is the all-time leader in home runs. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? When he did not fail a drug test. Yes, he was named in the whole Balco report. I get all that. We all can take a look at pictures of Barry Bonds when he was young and saw how skinny he was, and then we could take a look at pictures of Barry Bonds later in his career, and you, there's a definite difference. There is in Roger Clemens as well. Some of that you can put down to maturity and aging, but some of it we know was probably uh, enhanced in other ways. But if they did not fail a drug test, because there was no testing, and then they were still in the league when they were doing testing. They did not fail a drug test. How in the how in the hell do you do you draw the line there? But on guys like Mike Piazza and and Jeff Bagwell and Yadi, whoever, you can say, well, it, it was rumored, but now nah, they're okay. We're going to let them be in. But because Clemens and Bonds were so far above everybody else, we're going to hold hold them up as the guys where you know that's the line we do not cross. Let me tell you something, folks. Barry Bonds was an all-time great before the suspected PED use. When he was a young player in the Pittsburgh Pirates, and you look at some of the video, and you can see how skinny he was. And I remember why this kid was special. Roger Clemens was special long before he was suspected of PED use. He was going to be a Hall of Famer. That's the problem here. You know, and, and these holier-than-thou writers that want to say, well, no. You know, I'm not voting for these. Look, you don't have proof. Hell, Roger Clemens was accused of it, testified in front of Congress, was accused of perjuring himself in front of Congress when he said, I didn't do it. Right? He was charged with perjury. And guess what, folks? He beat that charge, too. So they can't even prove that he was lying. Yet you're going to leave him out of the Hall of Fame. A guy with seven Cy Youngs, the most in history. Arguably uh, one of the top two or three greatest right-handed pitchers in baseball history, if not the greatest. And you're going to leave him out of the Hall of Fame. Silly. Again, A-Rod, fine. You know what? You failed drug tests. Fine. Manny Ramirez, you you failed multiple drug tests. I have no problem with those guys not getting votes. And I'm also okay you know, there's been talk that uh, that maybe um, those guys should uh, have an asterisk on their plaque. I'm even okay with that. I really am. I mean, you know, I don't know that the Hall of Fame would do it, but I'm okay with that. You know, I think that, that you know, you can say they were suspected or there was a cloud of suspicion or whatever, however you want to put it. But at the end of the day, you don't know for sure. You can't prove it. Look, Harold Reynolds was on the Major League Baseball Network yesterday, and I don't, I don't agree with everything Harold Reynolds says. I think he's, you know, uh, you know, a little, a little over the top sometimes. But he said, "Hey, I don't know whether they did or didn't. I think they did, but I don't know." You know, but then he contradicts himself in saying, "Well, I think they did, so I don't think they should get in." You, you can't do that. What happened until innocent until proven guilty in this country? And if there was no testing, how are you guilty? 
you know, uh, you can make the same case for Sammy Sosa. You can make the same case for Mark McGuire. Look, Mark McGuire, Mark McGuire admitted using, uh, if you remember, he was using Andro, and he admitted to that. And it was a, you know, it was a supplement that he was taking, but it wasn't, there was no, there were no rules against it. You know, and, you know, it's no different to me. And I know that the, 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 there's a difference in performance enhancing and, and psychedelic drugs. But, you know, uh, guys that were playing <laughs> laced up on LSD. What was it? Doc Ellis pitched a no hitter when he was when he was high as a kite. I think he was I think he said he used that. I don't know if it was LSD or something, but he he pitched a, a no hitter when he was on drugs. How many guys in the '70s were taking, you know, uh, stimulants? You know, it's it's you know, I mean, I I get there's a difference between anabolic steroids and those things, but at the end of the day, you know what? The federal government says they're both illegal. So you know, at, at you know, so how if if they don't, if they're not testing for it, how do you say no? You're not getting in when you don't have proof and. At the end of the day, we don't know how many people in that era were using steroids. You know, you could make the case in, in that Clemens and Bonds were just leveling the playing field because everybody was doing it. Does it make it right? No, but at the end of the day, uh, that's the problem. Look, and, and here's the thing. You know, the other thing that we have to remember here is that the owners are complicit in what happened in baseball in the PED era. You know, there was a huge strike. Remember in 1994, we had the the work stoppage, and people were leaving baseball in droves. They canceled the rest of the 1994 season. There was no, you know, there was no World Series. There was no, and people just stopped going to games. So, um, guys like Bonds and McGuire and Sosa saved baseball. It brought people back to baseball. Because now, all of a sudden, there was this, this you know, power surge and... You know, the the, the great uh, home run chase between McGuire and Sosa, you know, and, and, and again, the owners were just happy that people were coming back to the ballpark. Nobody wanted to talk about where the power was coming from, where all the strikeouts were coming from, why we had dominant pitchers, why Clemens was doing what he was doing, why Bonds and Sosa and McGuire, you know, nobody wanted to talk about it. All they wanted to know was people are coming to games. Right? That's all they care about. And now all of a sudden, you know, when when the word gets out that maybe guys are using stuff, you know, to artificially enhance their performance, well, by then, you know, baseball was back to being relatively healthy again, and they had gotten back a lot of the fans that they had lost in the 1994 strike. and But nobody wanted to talk about it. You know, and and look... You can't have a Hall of Fame without the best hitter of all time in there. You can't have a Hall of Fame without one of the best 
right-handed pitchers or pitchers, period, in baseball history, not in the Hall of Fame, especially when you don't have proof. You know, that's like saying, I think my neighbor stole something from my my porch. I can't prove it, but I'm going to have him arrested. And the cops can't prove it, but they're going to keep him in jail just while they keep the investigation going, even though they can't prove it. You know, it's very it's innocent until proven guilty, and no one can prove that Clements and Bonds did anything because they weren't involved in any failed drug tests, period. All kinds of rumors about Clemens and Needles and his trainer and his wife and all this other stuff and, you know, bonds with uh, with the Balco thing. They never failed a Major League Baseball drug test, folks. So you can't prove it. No one can prove that Mike Piazza may have been doing steroids during his career. There were whispers that he did, but he's in the Hall of Fame. So tell me how that makes sense to you. It doesn't to me. You know, and uh, at the end of the day, it's it's we get into the whole, uh, look, if you broke the rules in baseball, Pete Rose broke the cardinal rule in baseball, Okay. He broke the rule. He bet on baseball. That has been the uh, number one thing in baseball from the beginning of time. You do not bet on baseball. It's posted in every clubhouse, and it has been since the turn of the century. Pete Rose broke that rule. Is he the all-time hits leader? Yep. But he broke uh, you know, perhaps the biggest cardinal rule. I mean, look, after the Black Sox scandal in 1919 and the, you know, throwing of the World Series and all this other stuff, you, look, you just don't mess with betting. You know, and it's, I don't even want to get into how, how in bed all the uh, sports leagues are now with betting. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. You know, you're going to tell, you're going to tell Pete Rose and anybody else they can't bet on baseball, but your main partners uh, now are like DraftKings. Right, and every every damn uh, baseball uh, team has a uh, one or two sponsors that are casinos and or, or and sports betting outfits, but you can't bet. You know, it's it's hypocrisy um, at the highest level. So, look, I'm happy for David Ortiz. I'm thrilled. He belongs there. And we'll, you know, we'll. I don't want this conversation to take away from how happy I am for David Ortiz. Look, I worked uh, for the, you know, Major League Baseball. I worked at Fenway Park for the Red Sox for five or six years, sitting in the press box and through a couple of World Series and watching what David, watching up close and personal what David Ortiz did on a nightly basis. And there was not a better clutch hitter that I have ever seen in my life. I am 61 years old. I've been watching baseball since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, and I can't remember a guy that routinely in huge spots came up as large as David Ortiz did, period. So I don't, wanna, I don't want the, uh, the Bonds-Clemens-Sosa conversation to take away from that, but I think we have to acknowledge that Major League Baseball and the baseball writers are a bunch of hypocrites, period. 
And by the way, you know, some of these writers that want to, you know, call out the, the whole character thing and, you know, integrity and all this other stuff. Let's 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 slow down about that, too. When we have guys that are known racists and wife beaters and and uh, dirty players, Ty Cobb, one of the dirtiest players in the history of baseball is in the Hall of Fame and is revered. You know, there are other guys in there that wouldn't play, didn't want to play with black players. Use the N-word on a regular basis. But but it's okay. But boy, boy, you know, who is this PED thing, man, that's worse than, than ever using the N-word or ever playing dirty. Oh, you know, so cut that. I don't want to hear that crap either. I got so pissed off yesterday listening to the Major League Baseball Network. Tom Verducci with his integrity. Tom Verducci, I wanted to punch Tom Verducci right in the mouth. Who the hell are you to hold up the mirror and say this 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 is this here this is the worst get the hell out of here and Roger Clemens in a statement you know yesterday said look my my family and I left the Hall of Fame uh behind you know 10 years ago you know we're over it we knew and he made a point of thanking the writers who looked at the facts and voted for him which was the classy thing to do the right thing to do And Roger Clemens, to this day and for until I am in that pine box or in the or the urn after I've been cremated, uh, will be one of my two favorite baseball players of all time. One being Carl Yastrzemski, uh, the other being Roger Clemens. Jim Rice is right up there too. But uh, Yaz was my hero when I was a kid, my favorite player, and as an, a young man. And then an adult, Roger Clemens was my favorite player. Even after he left the Red Sox, and he was by the, and let's make no mistake, Red Sox fans that still hate Roger Clemens because he left the team. Let's make no mistake, he didn't leave the team. He was run out of town by Dan Duquette, who, by the way, is now in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, a guy that 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 ran Roger Clemens out of town, who went on to shove it right up the Red Sox ass a few times in the rest of his career. And good for him. So, you know, I'm not making this personal as far as because I love Roger Clemens, but at the end of the day, because I I would vote for Barry Bonds too. You know, this isn't just about Clemens. This is about what's right or wrong. This is about testing versus pre-testing. This is about breaking the rules and doing something that was not against the rules. That simple. So, uh, look, you know, and, and Kurt Schilling, who got great uh, support last year, his support dropped greatly this year. Kurt Schilling is a guy that I believe belongs in the Hall of Fame. Is Kurt Schilling an asshole? Pardon my French. Yes. But he was a great pitcher. He was a great clutch pitcher. His control, his, you know, you look at, go look at baseball reference and look at his numbers on, like, strikeouts to walks. It's ridiculous. And then what he did in the postseason, it's insane. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. He is an a-hole. He has said and done things that are, you know, well, I shouldn't say done things. He has said things that are reprehensible about hanging writers and some of the comments he's made about uh, Muslims and the trans community. Look, I don't care 
how you feel. What you know. Look, we all have certain. You know, everybody has feelings one way or the other on the whole LBGTQ thing. Um, you know, but you need to shut up. You know, if you look, if you're if you're if you have feelings of of look, I you know these people are you know it's evil, whatever. You know, look, that's fine. You can feel however you want. Just shut up about it. You know, and, and talking about how, you know, and, and, and having uh, things about writers being hung. I mean, gee, Jesus, really? You know, and he was a very quotable guy when he played. I always admired the fact that he was not afraid to stand up and, and, and be, be held accountable. He uh, was not afraid to stand up and say, hey, we make way more money than we should as baseball players. So I owe the fans, you know, everything I've got. I love that. But, boy, after he left the game, he just became a bullethead. I don't know what the hell happened to him. It's like he just went off the rails. But it's a guy that belongs in the Hall of Fame. Will he ever get in? Well, he, he you know, look, he killed himself here. And, you know, you, you can't blame writers for not voting for him after those kinds of comments. You just can't. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, you look at him and, and, and his support dropped because he said, oh, I don't even want to be on the ballot. Take me off. Now, they, he can't do that, but that's what he wanted. So he got his wish. His, his support dropped significantly, as it should have. But at the end of the day, the Hall of the writers did the right thing, and they put David Ortiz in on the first ballot. We can finally, I hope, stop the talk about, oh, well, he was only a DH. Folks, there's been a DH in Major League Baseball since 1973. I think we need to get over that now. That's 40, uh, well, this season it would be 49 years ago that the DH was instituted in baseball. 49 years. I think we can get over it. It's a, it's a legitimate position in Major League Baseball. That's like saying I don't think first baseman should be in the Hall of Fame because, uh, you know, all they got to do is catch the ball when it's thrown across the diamond. You know what I mean? So that's that's just silliness, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, so uh, and I guess we just lost our uh, our uh, video on uh, Facebook. I apologize for that. We'll try to get that back. Uh, anyway, uh, look, when you look at the final votes, Bonds got sixty six percent. You know he needed to be up around three hundred, so he fell about you know forty. About 40 votes short. Roger Clemens was at 65.2. He was three votes uh, less than Barry Bonds. Uh, the good news was Scott Rowland got closer. He's up to 63%. 249 votes. He's going to get in. He belongs in. He was uh, one of the best defensive third basemen in baseball history. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. Period. And he will get in. Um you know, there's uh, some support for Todd Helton. His numbers went up. Billy Wagner's numbers went up this year, which is good to see. Andrew Jones. And look, uh, when you look at the Hall of Fame going forward, you know, next year, the the class is not going to be uh, that uh, impressive the next couple of years. So I think Scott Rowland, there's a very good chance he gets in next year. The interesting guy next year, and we want to talk about uh, controversy. Carlos Beltran is going to be on the ballot next year for the first time. Carlos Beltran, who was a member of those 2017 Houston Astros, his final season, and he got caught up in the cheating scandal. 
in which, by the way, no players were ever punished. Will the writers punish Carlos Beltran and not elect him to the Hall of Fame because they think that uh, he's a cheater? I mean, he cost him his job with the New York Mets. So it'll be really, really interesting to see how the writers look at that next year. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. Got a little bit more Hall of Fame stuff before we move on. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Wednesday morning. A beautiful day here in uh, southwestern uh, North Carolina. It's supposed to be uh, close to 60 degrees here today. Uh, I know those of you up in the northeast in the deep freeze, and all I can say is, <laughs> oh, I you know, it, it still gets a little chilly here in the mountains in the morning, but uh, it warms up nicely. I mean, like I said, we've had snow a couple of times. It's gone sometimes by noon. I mean, it's just it's it's just lovely, you know. And it's nice to be able to look out in the distance and you can see some snow on top of a couple of the mountains. But there's none at your house. It's just it's a it's a beautiful thing. Uh, anyway, I saw, so I watched the, uh, I tried to watch the hall of fame, uh, uh, announcement at home, but of course my wife and I had dinner reservations last night for six thirty, and bad, bad timing on my part. I, I should have said to Barb, Hey, look, let's go at seven. Cause I want to watch it. Fortunately, thank God for technology. Even the mountains, I was able to get MLB network on my phone so I could watch it while we were driving to dinner. Uh, but, uh, David Ortiz was actually in a bar, uh, down in the Dominican Republic with Pedro Martinez, of all people, who Pedro was kind of um, Ortiz's mentor um, while he was with the Red Sox. He actually was the one that convinced Theo Epstein to sign David Ortiz. You know, think about this. Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame now. David Ortiz was drafted by Seattle back in uh, 97 and or no, 95 and then traded to the Minnesota Twins. He made his debut with the Twins in 97. He was released by the Minnesota Twins. Think about this. This is a guy who is now in the Hall of Fame, and the Minnesota Twins just dumped him. Didn't think that he was going to be good enough. So Pedro goes to his first-year general manager, Theo Epstein, you know, Pedro, obviously a guy that had uh, a great reputation and a lot of a lot of uh, uh, respect around Major League Baseball. So when you go into your first year general manager, you know, your general manager, because your Pedro Martinez is likely to listen to you. And he said, hey, look, this is a guy from the Dominican Republic. And I'm telling you that he can be a special player. And Theo Epstein listened. And they signed him. And 558 home runs later, and I th- what did I see the number? Pete Abraham had it in his uh, uh, his story this morning. Great story, by the way, that Peter had in the Boston Globe about Ortiz. Uh, let me see if I can find this. The number of uh, big hits that he had. I want to say it was like, I don't know, 50-something walk-off hits in his career. Uh, you know, and... And he started it, uh, uh, a lot of it, in, in postseason. I can't, I can't find it right now. Um, but it's, it's, it was an amazing number. 
I'm still looking for it, and I can't find it. Uh, but he started, you know, you got to look at what he did. In t- it started in 2004, helping the Red Sox break, you know, that long curse. They were down in the ALCS to the New York Yankees three games to nothing. Game four, the elimination game, he wins it with a home run in the 12th inning. The next day, in game five, he singles in the bottom of the 14th. The Red Sox win game five. Red Sox didn't lose again that October. They went on to beat the Yankees. They get into the World Series. They win the World Series. He drove in 19 runs in 14 postseason games in 2004. You know, and then uh, 2013, you know, the end of his career does it, you know, continues to become one of the most feared hitters in the game. I remember when they were playing, uh, and Pete mentioned this this morning in his column, um, in 2013, he went 18 for 51 with five homers, 13 runs batted in in 16 games. Got on base 19 of his 26 plate appearances in the World Series. Think about that. He got on base 19 of 26 plate appearances. Game six, he was killing the Cardinals. Game six, the Cardinals walked him four times, three of to- three times intentionally. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable what he did, and, and not just in the postseason. I mean, I was at numerous games at Fenway when David, you, he came up in the ninth inning. You just knew. Game over. So I, I am so happy for him. You know, I'm I'm disappointed that Clemens and Bonds did not get in. You know, I didn't expect them to, to be honest. They were trending, they were trending both over 75% with about half of the ballots revealed. But, you know, the the uh, statistics show you in the past that the support after that drops a, a decent amount because the people that are like less likely to make their ballots uh, public are the older voters, and most of them are the ones that are going to be the hard line against the, the whole PED stuff. So, uh, but anyway, I just, uh, I'm, I'm really, really happy for David Ortiz. I mean, I just, it's well-deserved and, and, uh, even with the whispers of the PEDs and even with people discounting the whole designated hitter thing. And look, that, that, the designated hitter title, that's the other part of this, you know, that cost him, this would have it would have been a landslide probably if he had won a couple of MVPs, but he didn't because nobody would vote for a, a DH as MVP, even though probably two or three times in his career, he deserved it. And he didn't get it because people wouldn't vote for a designated hitter as MVP. David Ortiz, I'm sorry, folks, was the poster child for the term most valuable player. Don Orsillo, uh, my old friend who's now the broadcaster for the San Diego Padres, uh, summed it up on Twitter. And he, he tweeted a, a, a photo out with his hand wearing three Red Sox championships rings. And he said, I wouldn't have any of these if it wasn't for David Ortiz. And that's not hyperbole. That is fact. Without David Ortiz, the Boston Red Sox do not break that curse. 
and they do not go on to win two more championships in his uh, in his career. And I saw, uh, I heard yesterday, and I can't remember who the other players were. I know one of them. But David Ortiz, I think, is only one of three or four players to ever have more than 500 home runs and three world championships. It was Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, and I want to say there was one more. Was It, it might have been Reggie Jackson and David Ortiz. And that's it. That's the list of guys that have hit over 500 home runs and won three World Series titles. It's not bad company. Uh, on the labor front, the uh, Major League Baseball owners and players met for the last two days. And depending on who you talk to or who you listen to, there was significant progress. There was a little bit of progress, or there's still the Grand Canyon between these teams or between these sides, making it uh, less and less likely that we're going to have spring training on time. Spring training is supposed to start in about three weeks on February 16th. Unless something happens here in the next 10 days, I think the likelihood of that happening is small. Um, you know, and, and let's also, you know, you think about this is not only do they have to settle this, we still have a million free agents out there that right now don't even have teams. There was a little bit of a flurry before the lockout by the owners. But there's still a lot of guys out there without jobs. So just imagine what it's going to be like, you know, when this finally gets done. There's going to be, uh, you know, a, a bunch of signing. They're going to happen so fast that it's going to make your head spin. But we still have some uh, some sizable gaps. Look, um, the players have suggested a bonus pool for players that are pre-arbitration eligible. So right now, you know, you can't you you get stuck at the major league minimum salary with uh, small rate or small raises uh, for the first few years until you reach the ability to have arbitration where your salary can be uh, determined by an arbiter when the club will present one figure because of what you did, you know, what they think you're worth. And then your agent can present another figure based on your numbers and what they think you're worth. And then the arbitrator has to decide who's right. But before that, you're stuck making the major league minimum, which right now is $570,000, which, you know, if I was making $570,000, I would be doing cartwheels. And by the way, that would be a feat in, in and of itself. Um, but when you've got guys making, you know, tens of millions of dollars, you know, it's hard uh, to swallow that sometimes. I mean, think about it. You know, uh, guys, uh, P uh, Pete Alonso, Les, you know, comes out and uh, leads Major League Baseball in home runs or the National League in home runs, and he's making a minimum salary. Um, or actually, he wasn't didn't lead the league in home runs. He was the rookie of the year in 2019. So, you know, 
so the Mets then offer him a salary the next year in 2020, six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which was about eighty grand more than minimum. So they were they were you know doing they in their mind they're doing the right thing by offering him an eighty thousand dollar raise. Hey, aren't we great? Look at us. We're giving you eighty thousand dollars, which by the way is more than most people make in a year. Which again, it's neither here nor there. It is what it is. You can't compare what you make to what entertainers or athletes make because it's whatever the market will bear you know i've said this before is tom hanks worth 20 or tom hanks or or uh, tom cruise are those guys worth the kind of money they're making for a movie no of course not but it's what the market will bear so it's you know it is what it is um but my my point is is that it's still you know i don't he you know, I don't. Want to, I'm not going to get carried away and say it's slave wages, but you know, it's 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 so far under what he would actually be worth if he could go out on the on the open market and say, "Hey, here I am. What do you want to pay me?" Right? Um, and he's far away from arbitration yet. He's far. He was far away from uh, obviously from free agency. So, what the players have said is, "Here's what we want to do." We want a bonus pool out of the, you know, the the shared revenue. We want to take a pool of a hundred million dollars, and that money should be split up between the top twenty or thirty guys that are pre-arbitration eligible. So, uh, you know, the guys that can't that, that can are basically just going to be making a minimum salary. If the, and how do you determine the top twenty or thirty? Where they're going to use uh, the fairly new statistic, WAR wins above replacement. I'm not a big fan of analytics, but whatever. This is a way they have figured out how to how to uh, somehow calculate how somebody, what somebody is worth. You know, wins above the average. What 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 you would be worth versus somebody who would be the average replacement for you on that team. You know, how many more runs of season or runs a game or wins wins I should say wins uh, a year. Uh, you are better than this other player. And so that $100 million would be split up between those 20 or 30 guys, and that's how these guys would kind of make a little bit more money. Pete Alonso would have been, you know, one of those top guys. So if it's, let's say it's, uh, what, 20 guys, right, $100 million, that's $5 bucks a piece. Not bad, you know. That's a hell of a lot better than $650,000, right? Uh, and, the, and the owners are not necessarily against the idea, but they scoffed at the $100 million. You know what they offered? 10 million. So what does that mean for those 20 guys? It's $500,000 as opposed to 5 million. You know, now I think that, you know, they could probably meet in the middle somewhere, but it's, it's, it's a decent sign that the owners are not opposed to that idea. It's just a matter of, uh, numbers. And obviously the, the owners don't want to give up money. Uh, so, you know, look, um, the, 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 and also, the players want the minimum salary raised up to seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. The owners countered with six hundred and fifteen from the five hundred and seventy it currently is. And you say, when the owners are going to say, "Well, you know, look, it's forty or fifty thousand dollars. Aren't we great?" But here's the thing: if you look at the numbers, um, the minimum salary has only risen between seven to ten thousand dollars in each of the last ten seasons, uh, based on inflation. Uh, that number would have to be significantly higher to keep up with the average amount of inflation over that period of time. 
right? Uh, minimum salary for players with one to two years of service um, would have to be significantly higher to keep up with inflation. So, look, you know, supposedly they're going to meet again later this week. I, whether or not they're going to get this done, I, you know, I'm pessimistic. I, I still think that we're going to lose uh, the first couple of weeks of the regular season. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. You know, and there has been some movement, but the amount of movement, the players have seemed to be willing to yield a little bit more than the owners. You know, and, and, and you know, look, a lot of people are going to say, you know, a pox on both their houses. They're both, they're all millionaires. But, you know, what you have to remember, and yes, $570,000 is a lot of money for you and me. But, you know, and people will look at, well, the average Major League Baseball salary is, you know, what, you know, two, three, four million dollars. Well, here's the problem. The, the problem is, is that it's weighted so heavily towards the people at the top versus the people at the bottom. That's why that m- number is so high. There are way more people making less than a million dollars a year than there are people making uh, five million dollars a year or ten million dollars a year. Far more. When you have people like Max Scherzer and Mike Trout and Bryce Harper and guys like that, you know, that are making $30 million a year, $35 million a year, it skews the numbers. And that's the problem. You have, you know, the top guys making a buttload and the bottom guys making comparatively nothing. Comparatively. 50 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 52 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, quick note, no show tomorrow. I've got some stuff going on here in the studio, so uh, we will not be able to be on the air tomorrow morning, but we will be here on Friday. Uh, of course, we'll have Dan Zampano on on Friday to talk NFL football. Uh, speaking of the NFL, uh, Sean Payton, the coach of the New Orleans Saints, um, handed in his resignation yesterday with three years left on his contract. Uh, he is stepping away from coaching. Uh, look, this is a guy that uh, uh, led the New Orleans Saints to its only Super Bowl, a guy who has had them in the playoffs nine times in 15 seasons, uh, 152 and 89 career record, and uh, one of the uh, – Smarter young coaches in the NFL. This is a guy that was hired. Uh, when he got hired, it was right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, they uh, they didn't even play in the city, if you remember, for the entire 2005 season. They went 3-13. and Jim Hazlitt was their coach then. And uh, they hired Sean Payton. It was a controversial hire. But, you know, this is a guy that quickly... Uh, built a winning tradition. It did not hurt that he convinced the ownership to go out and hire and and sign Drew Brees as a free agent away from the San Diego Chargers. And Peyton and Brees uh, went on a playoff run where they made the playoffs uh, from 2009 to 2011, then they did it uh, 2013, and then four straight years uh, from 2017 to 2020. They just missed out on the playoffs this year. Went nine and eight. Um, and, and he said, look, I don't like the word retirement. I'm not sure, you know, I'll probably coach again, but it probably won't be this year. Um, but you know, I, 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 it's not that I'm burned out. I just feel like, uh, I need to do something different. Uh, 
And and I think some of this is wanting to spend some time with his family. Perhaps this might be part of you know so many people have reevaluated what they're doing through this whole pandemic thing. I think that's part of it. Uh, there were immediate rumors that Fox is interested in having him come on as a uh, a color analyst for his games. Uh, but he said he just felt like the time was right. He said it's something he's been thinking about, and he said uh, I get an opportunity to see my kids some more, to travel some more, to get in better shape. Uh, and, uh, you know, good for him, good for him. Um, but of course, you know, now the saints in that mix for a new head coach as well. So, uh, uh, the, uh, coaching carousel will continue. Uh, Byron Leftwich is going to have a job, I think as a head coach, I think Eric Bieniemy I hope gets a job. Uh, we already know Brian Flores is out there. Uh, Jim, Jim Harbaugh's, there's been some talk about him coming to the NFL. I mean, there's, and there's, there's plenty of people out there, you know, and, and you wonder, uh, you know, if you're Jim Harbaugh and you're interested in coming out and it was talks about, you know, he might be interested in this job or that, but you know, the saints again would be another one of those teams, uh, that you would think would be, you know, attractive. They need to figure out their quarterback situation. You know, I don't know going forward if Jameis Winston's going to be the guy, of course he was, they were playing really well until Jameis Winston got hurt. And then it was, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a rougher go after that, but Jameis Winston was proving himself to uh, look like he had reinvented his game a little bit uh, with the Saints, but how much was that, you know, could have been part of Peyton's system as well. There's some talk that maybe the Saints will want to stay internal to try to keep things rolling the way they are and, you know, get people that will still do things kind of the way that Sean Payton did them. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, one other note last night, the Boston Celtics with uh, – the second largest margin of victory in franchise history. They they beat the Sacramento Kings last night by 53, 128 to 75. This game was over uh, long before halftime. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown, huge games. Uh, just uh, Tatum at 36 points in 31 minutes. Brown had 30 points and 10 rebounds in, in only 24 minutes. And they both sat the entire fourth quarter. Unbelievable. Uh, Celtics now only 25 and 24, but they're getting healthy. They're getting guys back from, you know, the COVID list. And if they have their regular starting lineup, which is Dayton Brown, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, now Horford, uh, they're pretty good. And here's the thing. They've only had that starting lineup in 14 of their tw- of their 49 games this year because of COVID and other things. And when those guys are in the lineup, They've outscored their opponents by an average of 21.9 points for every 100 possessions. So if they have those guys, the Celtics team's a lot more dangerous. So if they get healthy, you know, the Celtics might be a handful going down the stretch. Uh, And the Nashville Predators last night beat the Seattle Kraken 4-2. They win their third straight game. So the roller coaster ride for the Predators continue. Uh, They still sit uh, near the top of the Central Division, but – they're having a hard time with consistency. They went 13-1-1, then lost like, you know, 6-7, of seven, but now they've got things going in the right direction again. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Friday uh, with another edition of the Wake Up Call. By the way, uh, our podcast is also now available on Facebook, so you can get it at Apple Podcasts. You can get it on Spotify. You can get it uh, on Amazon Music. Uh, it's available just about everywhere, and now it's available on Facebook as well. And uh, the numbers for our our downloads of our podcast are going up. I don't know why more people want to listen to me, but I'm happy that you do. Uh, We're going to leave you this morning with some music from Jimmy Allen, Brad Paisley, Freedom Was a Highway. We'll see you on Friday. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.